Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. And I have the most amazing guest on the line, the world-renowned gardener. He's going to rock us with his new venture, Growers and Company. Here today to talk to us is G. Martin Fortier. Welcome to the show, Dan. <laughs> wow, it's so exciting. I feel like there's fireworks coming out. <laughs> Hi, I'm so happy to be there. Oh my goodness. Well, I am so happy to have you here and to talk about everything you have going on, your new venture with Growers & Co. Your, I love the t-shirt that says, small scale farmers are changing the world. And I mm. hope we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Mm-hmm. And just, um, but I do have a ton of new listeners since the last time you were here. So just in case they are like, who is this? I don't know how they could, but if they are, do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, so people call me JM. So I go by JM and I started a small organic farm. We're in 2004. So that was a while back. And then that farm, the fame to claim of that farm was that we were farming an acre and a half, which we still do today. And we use no tractor, we use hand tools, and then we go to farmer's market and we have a CSA and we deliver to the local food co-op and we've been able to make a living farming this small piece of land for you know almost two decades now and uh, eventually I wrote a book called The Market Gardener which described uh, the strategies that we use to make the farm uh, you know productive and also financially viable and The Market Gardener is now translated in 10 languages and it's sold over 2,000, 200,000 copies. And a lot of people know me for this, you know, they've read the book and I think it has helped them just figure out, you know, proper ways to start a small farm or just like learn new gardening, gardening practices or learn about tools, new tools that they perhaps didn't know existed and how to use them. And uh, so that was, that was kind of when people started to know a little bit of uh, who I am because I was promoting the book and people are reading my work. And so many of my guests who are market gardeners are following your steps exactly. And they're talking about their success. I mean, I heard about you from Joyce Pinson back, I think, in episode 77. And she was just raving about you back then. And I immediately bought the book. And my husband has poured through it and just we've put some of the things like he's desperately trying to build a pond and just we just have a little mini farm but 200,000 copies I went to ghostwriter school this summer to learn how to write I'm trying to write this book called rockstar millennial and he says mm. that like a self-published book usually sells 300 and a traditionally published book sells 2,000 you are 100 times that 200,000 and that's because you are changing the world and teaching people how small farmers so do you want to touch on that how are small farmers changing the world small scale farmers? yeah well you know that's wow i've met you know i've been very fortunate because because of the book you know i've been first of all at first i was kind of touring i was invited to talk about my work and talk about the book so every time that happens i go and visit farms and visit farmers and that was in Canada, then it was in the U.S., then it was in Europe, then it was in Australia, New Zealand, and then, you know, Central America, and it's just like all over the place. And then every time I would see farms and farmers, 
uh, you know, the local food system, it's happening. People in that community are getting together at the farmer's market. They're talking about the local foods. It's bringing people together. And the people that are on these farms, they work super hard. It's never easy. Some of them get discouraged, but they keep at it. And it's just, it's so full of hope. And it's so full of, it's so counterculture with regards to, you know, you know, big ag and big superstores and Amazon and everything is disconnected from everything. But then when you go back to a local food farm, you're like, okay, I'm buying salads from you and you're growing them and we meet each other and it's all positive. It's all ecological and the money's kept inside the community. So positive. And so, you know, I, I knew that, but everywhere I go, it's the same. It's so positive. And then the more of these small farms are out there, the better the community is connecting with these farms. And then it just creates a strong local food scene. And everywhere I've been that I've seen a strong local food scene, it's a happening place on, on you know, many levels. And so for me, when I look at environmental disasters and climate change and, 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 and corporations and just the, the takeover of so many of our common goods, for me, the bright hope, you know, the, 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 the Jedis of, of this struggle are the farmers that are doing the work. And, and absolutely. I mean, I, I think I sent you an email about this article I read in Rodale's Organic Gardening Magazine back in 2000, where they talked about the problem is not that we don't have enough food today. It's distributing that food. And that's how small scale farmers can really, I think, make that change because it's the distribution. And with small scale farmers, we don't have to have this giant distribution. We don't have to ship our tomatoes 20,000 miles and pick them before they're ripe and before they have the, you know, proper nutritional value. We can, you know, get them from our local farmer and it's building that community and talking about hope like mandy girth talked about hope you know she was like it's us crazy farmers but it's also the crazy customers who come and support exactly and 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 building those communities and and she follows your practices you know she is the bcs tractor and they have the the same bros and the same length and like those are some of the you want to talk about that like some of the because that's one of the things um that I think I've heard a lot of the people talk about, like you have like a, a standard length row, right? And like a size of mm-hmm. a bed and specific walking pet places you walk and places you, you plant and don't plant. Am I right? Yeah. So when, when we, when we started our farm, uh, we didn't want to use a tractor, not because we didn't like tractors, although we don't really, we're not tractor people, but because we had, you know, under two acres, to farm. And so what we tried to do was maximize, uh, you know, square footage so that everything would be planted. And when you're a mechanized farmer, a lot of the space is for, you know, turning at the end of the, the, the row and just the tractors, they, they end up eating a lot of space. And the spacings between each row is really wide because you're cultivating tools are, are, you know, adapted for larger scale production. And when I started farming, a lot of the small scale farmers were kind of using tractor scale techniques on small acreage. And it just, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a good fit. So what we did was maximize, we started to, first of all, we adopted a permanent bed strategy. So 
like most home gardeners, you know, we have permanent beds and, and then we don't plow and chisel and, and remake them every year. We just, we've made them once, we've hilled them, and then we're just cultivating on those beds. But the beds are 30 inch wide and the pathways where we walk, so we don't trample the beds, they're 18 inch wide, which is a 48 inch center to center bed, four feet center to center bed. And that has become a standard that we use and a standard that thousands of market gardeners are using now. And within the 30 inch, which is really the bed where we plant, we really use close spacings. So we'll, we'll go from 12 to, to one, 12 to down to one row for the different crops. You know, radishes is going to be 12 rows on 30 inch. Uh, beans is going to be one row. But, and then you have cauliflowers. All the different crops have a different grid pattern, but it's all on 30 inch. So that creates somewhat of a, how can I say, like a, a, a parameter to, from which to work with. And, and, and that's really the difference. We've created like a constraint, which is the bed width, and then we've worked inside that constraint and we quickly figured out how to optimize production in that 30-inch bed. And, and, and then the tools, the proper tools, the broad fork, the wheel hose, the cultivating hose, the wire weeders, the seeders, all, all tools that are really, you know, hand pushed or handmade or, or made for humans and in that bed, that has become kind of our whole ecosystem to operate from. Which, and, and then listening to me talking like this, it sounds very esoteric. It's not. It's just like instead of doing whatever, we have, you know, we have guidelines of, okay, so this is the bed width. This is the spacing for this crop. This is the cedar for exactly the perfect density for that. This is the tool we use to cultivate this crop. And we've standardized a lot of things. And, and when I published my book, you know, a lot of people adopted these standards. So now most, most market gardeners are working in, in four feet center to center bed. They have black tarps. They use BCS walk behind tractors. They use wheel hose. They use push seeders. And, you know, we haven't invented anything. And there were people doing the same thing before us for sure. But I think my, my book and my work has uh, popularized it, if, if I can say that. But did you invent the wire weeder thing? Or like, didn't you say there were two new tools that you designed that were coming out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like with, with you talked, when we started the, uh, the, the podcast together, you talked about Growers & Co. And Growers & Co. is where now, uh, I, I, you know, we do a, you know, I'm the editor of a, of a bi-yearly magazine where we talk about small-scale farming, changing world, people that are doing it, why it's important, and just like gardeners and, and, and chefs and just so many people involved. And we tell their stories and it's such a beautiful work. I'm inviting all your listeners to, to check it out. Uh, it's, you know, the Growers Magazine. It's at growers.co. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. But it's also a, a farmware and tool company where all the designs that I wanted to do are now available because you're talking about the wire weeders. We're talking about other tools. These are all tools that have been around. I've seen them in Europe. Elliot Coleman, who's really my mentor and somebody that I really like, you know, 
he gave me prototypes for those wire weeders that he messed with and that he found in Switzerland like 30 years ago. And, and so I, I just, at one point with growers, I now have a business that can, you know, make the tools and, and, you know, ideally make it profitable enough so that we can make more tools and make new designs and better serve uh, mostly home gardeners also with these tools that are professionally made, but that are, you know, we you can't find that hardware stores or they're not available. These are, you know, these are specifically tailored to our needs as market gardeners. And, and, you know, the broad fork is, is probably the most popular one that people know home gardeners know about the broad fork, but you know, the one that we make is the one, and I've been using broad forks for 20 years. And for me, there's a difference between one and the other. They're not all the same. They're not all created equal. And so I'm kind of a geek that way. And so all the tools with growers now are really the tools that, that I've designed and that I like. And it's so true. Like I just happened to stumble upon a broad fork on Amazon once for $99. And I can't even believe I hesitated. And I have not, and I love our broad fork, but it has fallen apart twice. We've had to like put it back together. And then I love that yours has wooden handles. And you were saying that makes it light. It makes it beautiful. It's construct. Like there's definitely like, I can't wait till we get one because I want one down in our mini farm. And then I want one close to the house in our home gardens. Like we can definitely use two. And my husband turns his entire, the last two years in a row, he has turned the entire mini farm, which is like, I don't know, a 10th of an acre, not quite a quarter of an mm-hmm. acre with the broad fork like we bought a, a rototiller and a tractor and he hasn't used either one of them he just uses that broad fork and i just i just think it's invaluable and i think the one you have built is again like you said i love that it has wooden handles it's beautiful and but also like the space between like the the metal and everything about it it's hard to imagine someone can be so passionate about a broad fork but it's so <laughs> true like it's so handy it does such a great job well, you know what? It's the, the name of my farm is, is Broad Fork Farm. It's in French, La Grelinette, which is the original inventor uh, of the Broad Fork in France. But, you know, it, the Broad Fork for me symbolizes a, a lot of things. You know, it, it, it's definitely about taking care of the soil because unlike a rotor tiller, which you'd be kind of, you know, plowing and kind of like messing all the you know, all, all the ecosystem that's in the soil, it's all layered and there's their fungi and there's all these different microbiome that, that we don't know about, we can't see, but they're there. It's an ecosystem. And then when you when you go with a rotor tiller, you, you're kind of just like destroying the whole soil structure. You're just kind of messing it up. All the, all the life that's in the soil gets kind of like, it's like an earthquake. It's like an earthquake, a tornado and a fire at the same time. It's like <laughs> complete destruction of the universe. And so that's what, that's what, you know, really that's what a rotor tiller does. It looks great. You know, you have the soil that's really nice and really brown and, and we're accustomed to kind of feeling that that's the soil that we want. But it's, it's really when you, when you look at, at it and when you study soil systems and, and you study the effect of, of different tools on soils, we know it's, 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 it's confirmed 100% that no-till systems are, are better for the soil and in the long term more productive because when you rotor till it's like it's like blowing on a fire you get a hard flame you know a lot of a lot of the mineralization happens it's the soil becomes active but you're depleting 
the uh, the the humus that's in the soil. You're kind of depleting the organic matter slowly. You're kind of burning it up. So all of this to say that the broad fork allows you to make sure that your soil is loose and deep without destroying it, without inverting the layers. And and so that's why this tool for me is not just any other tool. It's a very it's very symbolic of how we want to be cultivating the soils and how we want to be producing food, you know, grown with care and by people who care, doing the extra effort to make it really, you know, really profound. And so the broad fork for me is that. And so to have, and, but then, you know, we're also commercial, you know, we need to get things done on the farm. We have an eight to five and we have, you know, 300 people that we're feeding and we have kids and it's just like, you know, we want things to, to happen. So a, a broad fork for me needs to be, you know, the right weight, not too heavy, not too light. It needs to be, it needs to not break. So I can use it for many, many years. And, and this kind of same ethos that I have for the broad fork, I have for, you know, the oscillating hose that way I use, you know, the cultivating the wiggle wire hose I have for the wire weeder I have for all the hose that I use. Uh, it's the same, you know, these, these are tools that I want to have for many, many years. And so, you know, I'm at the service of trying to make them better, better than, than I've, you know, the, those that I can found on the market. Awesome. Tell us about the clothes and the farmware. Yeah, that's another epic adventure. I don't know. I've, I'm so passionate about it to be frank. Like I, I've traveled a lot and for me, you know, I spend 40, 45 hours a week outside cold weather. You know, this morning it's a zero Fahrenheit here at the farm. And so, you know, we're, we're outside in the greenhouse, we're removing row covers, we're doing stuff. And so the, the clothes that I wear become a bit of my tools also. It's like my, my working clothes. And I've been thinking about, better clothing, you know, uh, pants with knee pads because we're a lot on our knees, uh, tool belts so that we can carry more tools with us, uh, you know, just like uh, coats that are more durable and that breed. And, and you know, obviously a lot of the growers in, in my ecosystem, in my community, we, we just, we buy stuff from the salvation army and you know, we just kind of rip it out but you know there's some sometimes we like something and we like a piece of clothing and we want to keep it and and so with growers what we're doing is that we are we are designing and manufacturing clothing that are really tough durable but they're also designed for playing outside being a gardener a market gardener and the special touch that i want to give it is that it also looks good because you know i think i think Farmers are cool and they, they should look cool and they should feel cool and they are cool. And so the clothing also needs to give you a little bit of style. And so that's my, that's my, that's my project, you know, to, 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 to be behind a, a farmware company that does amazing, you know, tools and amazing clothes that you want to wear to play outside. And then didn't you tell me something about you want to see the people on the billboards be farmers <laughs> and not just right like the people not just recreationalists or something like that like you think farmer i don't remember yeah farmers are changing the world and 
Yeah, the, the story that I was telling you was because everything's a long story. So I, you know, I try to make them short. But this idea of 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 a farmware line is it also it comes from the vision of having multi of having more farms everywhere in each state, in each town, feeding more cities. You know, we want to see the multiplication of small ecological farms. And ultimately, I believe that's how, that's the only way, we, it's the only means to replace kind of the mass production that's really malnourishing us, okay? So we need to have more, more vibrant ecological farms. People are in the countryside. It's creating a local economy. People are eating locally. It's good on the ecology. There, you know, this, this feedback is so positive, but how do we get there? So for me, when I look at, at what the last 40 years, there's some trends that really happened. And one of them is because I grew up, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm. I, I used to skateboard and snowboard and that was my universe. But I remember how it was cool back then to be a skateboarder. And later on, I, I started to rock climb and I was you know, reading rock climbing magazines. And then Patagonia had these billboards of rock climbers. And, and it was just like, so, you know, rock climbers were superstars and you'd be cool if you do that. And I've always been thinking, how about we have farmers instead? You know, these people are feeding the community. They're working hard. They're playing outside. They're, they're living a, a courageous and inspirational life. And so I went to Patagonia twice to pitch them the idea of saying, why don't you guys focus on, on farmers and create a line for them, functional wear that will help them in their work, just like you did for rock climbers, and, and starting, start to tell their stories and start to praise what they're doing and make them, them the hero. And, you know, I, 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 I had a certain traction, but eventually it didn't, it didn't pan out, so I just decided to kind of go for it myself. And, and I surrounded myself with great people here and, We've started Growers & Co. And, and that's really what we want to do. So, so that's the story about rock climbers and farmers and how they gel. It's the whole concept of portraying farmers as heroes because I do think that they are. Absolutely. I mean, we all need to eat. I mean, we're facing this huge health crisis with people not getting nutrients out of the food. Like, it's just, it's like this crazy thing where we have all these obese people you know but it's because we're eating nutritionally valueless food is so much easier to have access to because you know big ag is getting i think um you know what is it subsidies from things so they can make that food cheaper so it's you know a parent who's struggling to feed five kids, it's easier for them to buy a box of super cheap, you know, low nutrition cereal as compared to, I mean, I'll, I, you know, I can remember picking my stepdaughter granddaughter up after school and she bought a thing of blueberries and she had done a whole $5 container of blueberries before we got home. If you have five kids, you know, how are you going to do that? And just, um, yeah. it, it's so true. Like we really need to level the access to nutrient dense food. Um, and, and, and Jackie, world. if I can, if yes, I, if absolutely. I may, we, we need more people gardening and that's where people like you come into play because 
we need to talk about gardening. We need to get excited about it. And we need to be passionate about the importance of you know, gardening. Those blueberries at $5, $5 a paint, uh, they're cheap when you're picking them yourself. Because blueberries, they'll just grow. Really? And so I'm you know, so struggling to grow blueberries. <laughs> so oh, I can help. I, I have I have tricks for that. But you know, blueberries. Give me some once tricks. Kicking, like one problem we have, we finally got a soil test, and my pH mm-hmm. where my blueberries are is an eight point three. Yeah. Well, that's perhaps on the. It, it should be a bit lower, but you know they need to be acidic. So so that's that's important. But nets, and sometimes it's the cultivars. Uh, you know, but blueberries, you know, I, we don't grow them super commercially. You know, we don't, we don't feed 300 families with blueberries. We have just some for our families, but except for picking them, I found, which takes a lot of time, you know, they're not that hard, but you know, anything that you can grow in, in your home, uh, in your garden, but you know, if we, if, if, if gardeners, if gardeners would measure, you know, the, the the money that they make you know like we do when we're market gardeners they'd be astounded or amazed how much produce they're getting out of their gardens and that would be a you know if you're if you're you know you harvest for fifty dollars you're like wow this is amazing and then but but don't people don't do that they don't count how much this is worth but if they did i think it would be a great incentive to you know garden more heavily because you know you're producing money you don't need to buy stuff it's a it's you know for me it's I get overpassionate about this, but I, I think gardeners are also playing in this good food revolution. They're playing a super important part. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Like my husband was so passionate about planting our apple orchard. And like, I can't believe how many apples we get year after year after year. And like the raspberries, like from our raspberry bushes that like you put in and then once, you know, once they take off, um, just how much they're growing which is what i'm hoping with my blueberries i mean seriously i have two plants and i got five blueberries this year like i am really struggling with them mm. <laughs> um but mm. I, you know maybe i'll figure it out like i'm trying to decide like should i take them out of the dirt and find some other dirt the people who did the soil test she sent me like this uh espoma uh, what is it to putting them but i'm like should i just start over in different pots in a different bed like what should i do with these two plants i have that are just not doing anything for me this is their second year five blueberries yeah i think second year you need to wait for fourth year that's oh, really, really you're what the second person that told yeah. me that i'm just being impatient yeah, yeah. well not impatient uh, just perhaps not aware that blueberries they take a long time to establish they're, they're growing their roots and it's when their root system gets well established, then then the plant you know sets to set the fruit. But before that, it's not ready yet. So oh, don't worry the, too much. Just first year, I thought it was because I just didn't water them because watering is like my major struggle. But then last year, I really made sure they got water. And oh, but maybe they just because they are they're still they're very short. They haven't really grown. Mm-hmm. Um, just give them time and keep keep loving them. Azalea, azalea thing i think she said i should get this espoma azalea you know i don't want to my husband's like you want to put what in there yeah just like sometimes the natural you know it it really depends and it's it's always hard to give recommendations you know over a phone conversation because i don't see the plants and i but 
sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of letting things settle. Sometimes. Uh, and in the case of perennials, I think most of the times that's what needs to happen. And so if your pH is on the acidic side, you know, and you have some wood chips or, or sawdust around your plants, and I think it's just a matter of years before they start to pump out. Awesome. So the other challenge I had this year was the blossom end rot on my tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Got any suggestions yes. there? Yes, yes. Blossom end rot, blossom end rot. Such a, you know, you have those. We we mostly have it on peppers. We have it also on certain sometimes on tomatoes, but beautiful peppers, like oh gorgeous, big and fat, and then you have the bottom that's all rotten and you can't sell anymore. So, you know, blossom end rot has to do with calcium deficiency. And that happens when it gets really warm or really hot, and then the plant doesn't get enough calcium from the soil because mostly it's 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 not hydrating itself enough you know the demand the plant is is wants more calcium but it's not getting enough water because the water is not compensated because it's transpiring a lot too so you know it's a complicated thing to say that the way we work around that is that we foliar spray in august preventively with calcium on those plants so you know tomatoes or peppers and the foliar spray of calcium just makes sure that there's not going to be a deficient a deficiency because if you put it in the ground then you're left with the same problem because the problem is not that there's no calcium in the ground the problem is just the plant because it's warm and because it's so hot it's having a hard time accessing the calcium and and channeling it to the fruits and uh so how, that's how we deal with it in august we every week we systematically spray foliar spray calcium on the plants and and we use the dosage that are on the calcium that we buy and we use you know a, a pretty typical backpack sprayer and and that's it and is it like seaweed or something yeah well you know when I, when we do foliar yeah when when we do that you know when we're spraying uh we add also seaweeds because the seaweeds they add a lot of trace minerals there's a lot of trace minerals in seaweed that's why you know it's people in, in japan or in asia they eat a lot of seaweeds because it's it's really rich with a lot of things that we we might not have in our regular diet so and then we spray that because the two can work together they don't the calcium doesn't doesn't have a negative impact or effect on, on the, the, what's good in the seaweed. So we spray both at once. And there's a lot of things that when we do spray on plants, uh, you know, we try to maximize our time. So we do in the same spray that there's going to be some time. Sometimes we spray uh, with, with soap for aphids, and then we'll also put something else. So, you know, this is something that we, that we've kind of debugged and experimented with and we know what to spray just by themselves and what to spray together. And, uh, and I try to, you know, I try to share all this knowledge that, that me and my staff and then over the years, the, all the, all the knowledge that I've kind of developed, you know, I have a, an online course, it's the masterclass 
And in the masterclass, you know, I give this information out, but it's, it's also a video of how we do things, why every step of the way. And then what we, what I want to do is to just help people in a very clear and concise manner. It's like, okay, this is how, you know, I do carrots from seed to harvest, all the steps, you know, how I deal with insects. This is how, this is how, this is how. And it's, it would be like a YouTube channel, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a deeper, it's a program, you know, and then we have some of my, you know, former uh, farm staff that have been with me that are answering people's question. And just like we have a peer to peer group where people, you know, share their problems and then other people gives insights. So uh, what I've tried to do is just create a knowledge, a knowledge based place where professional market gardeners or avid home gardeners can get, you know, information that they can't find online. So that's another, that's another project that I have. I have quite a few, but I'm, 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 I'm so passionate about this that I, I have too much energy. It needs to go somewhere. Oh my gosh, but you are totally changing the world doing this. Didn't you tell me 2000 people have gone through that course and it's just invaluable. I mean, it, it's, I know people who have taken that course. We talked about Ray Tyler. Um, mm-hmm. He just yeah. raved about how much he learned from you. Like, yeah, you have that class and, and, you know, I can't stress enough, but I think also you have also donated a lot of free content out there too that has helped mm-hmm. people. But if somebody's serious, I mean, it's an investment that's like, you know, you just, you know, if you're really serious about becoming a market farmer, I think it could really help people. Like people have given you feedback that it's really helped them. People have talked on my show about how it's helped them. Yeah. This is, this is always, you know, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you do things and when you look back or when other people look at your, some of your success are like, Oh, this guy, you know, he's just, everything's happening but you know i've had a lot of doubt there's a lot of money that went into that there's a lot of my time and i have two kids and a wife and i have you know i'm running a farm program and i have my own farm and i i'm you know i'm helping you know doing doing policy work here on on the state level and there's so many things that i do but whenever i hear you talked about uh, ray you know you've had ray on your show and you know the the story of ray ray tyler and and what where he was and and when i met him where he was with regards to his farm and his farming he has like i think six children and you know the farm was not was not happening at all it was it was a struggle and and where he is now he's a highly successful farmer he he also teaches now he also has an online course and uh, and and i'm not i'm not taking credit for for the success of of, of his work that's not the point here is like the, the, this evolution is what I care deeply about, of people making it work on their farm. For me, that's, that's, that's awesome because I know that it can be a very positive experience. And I know that people want to eat local food. It's just a matter of how you approach your farming. And if you can become a better farmer, and if you, if you become a better farmer, you become a better husband or you become a better mother and you become a better neighbor, and you become a better, you know, Christian, because farming can be a very struggling 
kind of work. You know, you can really work very hard and not have a lot of success. But if that changes and then the, the level of energy and effort that you put into it translates into success and, and crop success and market success, and, and then it leads to a good life. And uh, that's, that's what I care about. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love all of that. It's so true. Um, you know, and like in a lot of ways, like I've, you know, done the same thing with my podcast. Like I've paid at least that much for classes, like probably twice mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Learning how to be a successful podcaster, which has like my husband is probably just like, oh my goodness. And just, you know, I think there's a certain learning curve. And I think, um, you know, I don't know, I should probably... but anyway my financial problems are more probably rooted in my lack of business sense but also it takes time like sometimes I'm like six years when I graduated you know when I was going to school to be an elementary teacher I remember being with a a teacher in the classroom she's like well it takes five years to become the teacher I'm like wait five more years after I've just been in school for four years why does it take that Mm. long so thinking that you're going to start an online business and be profitable in less than five years you know i think is idealistic and i've almost worked full-time the whole time i've been doing this so yeah plus you've told me you've you've told me that you're also writing a book which is another big endeavor it takes a lot of (laughs) it's a lot of time it's not easy there's a then you know this little feeling and you're putting a lot of time writing it and you're just hopeful that it's going to be People will want to read it, and that uh, takes courage to do that also. Well, thank you. Yeah, it does. Well, we wrote our first book, The Organic Oasis Guidebook, last year, which I think I've sold all of four copies of. I'm not joking. <laughs> um, and just, but I think, like, I heard a podcast talk about having to go on your own book tour, and you were talking about how you traveled, and so that could be it i don't know anyway yeah and so and this- J- jackie the book the, the book tour lasted five years oh wow yeah so, <laughs> so um, it was quite a book tour and at the end i can tell you i was so fed up with it that uh, i didn't want to do any any more talk on radio podcasts nothing for three years i was you know from 2000 and 2018 to kind of this year with me coming up with growers in the magazine and wanted to tell the world about it i've been quieter because i was just kind of like oh just tell your story five million times you're just kind of fed up with it but writing a book is also about telling stories and then you need to do it and it's work yeah cool well is there anything else you want to share today that we didn't touch on? Well, I, you I know, know I busy. think, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back. Actually, we're, we're finishing our crop plan for, for next year with, with, this, with the crew here. But I hope everyone's safe. Uh, I hope everybody's excited about uh, next year's garden. And I'm inviting everyone to check out Growers Magazine. That's at growers.co. And, uh, you know, write me an email. Give me feedback about it, how you see this. and yeah it's an invitation to everyone and buy a broad get one of his broad fox or check out his tools and <laughs> take the master class if you want to be a a market farmer and just um, make sure you leave him a review on amazon and and just uh do all the things definitely check out his website there's so much tons of information there um get some of his farmware and thank you so much for being such a gracious guest today 
Well, thank you, Jackie, for having me on. And uh, all the best on the podcast. And send me a copy of your book. Aw, thank you. Have a great day. Stay safe. Happy holidays. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local.